Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Movies and Us, a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about movies, stories, and connection. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And today we're going to be reviewing the film American Fiction. Okay, Sarah, kick us off with an IMDb summary for this film. A novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from quote-unquote black entertainment uses a pen name to write a book that propels him into the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. All right. Here we are on our road to the Oscars. We're getting such a treat the next couple of weeks and the past couple of weeks. Just some amazing, amazing films. So we're excited to talk about American fiction today. It's got quite a number of noms in many different categories. So this will be fun to be able to discuss together. Okay, let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for American fiction. What was yours? Never underestimate the power of storytelling. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. Uh, My first two words of my one-sentence summary are also never underestimate. I was like, one for the first time in all of Movies in Us history. Close. You're close. My one sentence summary is actually a line from the film that I just feel like was perfect. And it's mm. never underestimate how stupid people are. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. <laughs> All right. Let's dive into our thoughts about American fiction in this first section. We will not spoil this movie and then we will give a spoiler and then really dive into all of the details, especially the second half of the film. So at a high level, Sarah, what were your thoughts about American fiction? What really stood out to you? Yeah, uh, this movie is so fun and so funny. And I think that this is one of those really good examples of uh, humor being utilized to make a point. Um, but then I, I love that this this premise of him publishing this book Uh, is just one aspect of the story. And we get to see a lot of the other things also going on in his life. And we get to see moments of joy and moments of grief all kind of woven together uh, to help us kind of get a real sense of who this person is as he's just navigating throughout his life. Uh, There's a lot of really like harsh truths that are told in this, but it's told through humor, which makes it all the more fun to watch. Um, The score in this is fantastic. And I immediately went home and listened to the soundtrack on repeat for quite a few hours afterwards. So that has been just a delight. So I think all around thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Can't recommend seeing it enough. It works on so many levels um, and is just very well done. And I'm so pleased that the Academy has has recognized just how good this movie is. Yeah, this movie really worked for me too. It it just, it's, it's this perfect blend of satire, social commentary. It's, but it's, oh, the thing I was most surprised about is that it is this oddly surprisingly tender family drama too I did not see that coming I thought this was going to be just you know like punchy and spicy and it's all of those things but this movie is so 
sweet and warm in certain moments. And the score does a lot of the great like tonal setting in shifting tones between the scenes that are punchy and spicy versus the ones that are a lot more warm and tender and that the score is just doing so much to help the scenes. But it also helps make some of those like really big, meaty, um, emotional moments in this film, like more balanced and it doesn't lean so heavily into melodrama. And there's a, there's a level of like, um, levity in this film that I think works really, really well. This collection of characters, I think play off of each other and are such great balances together, um, and what they bring to the table and kind of their personalities and their quirks. And I just honestly, just absolutely adored our protagonist. I think that he has this perfect example of a grump that is also so endearing and clearly there's so much stirring in him that we see throughout the film. So he was just a character that I immediately fell in love with and had such a joy following and he grows so much over the course of the film, which is really, really fabulous as well. So I think sometimes satire can, can, use characters to paint like a larger point and those characters can be a little bit flat and one-dimensional but I really loved how full and uh, fully realized each of these characters are even some of the side characters have full personalities and full arcs so that was a surprising aspect of this film to me that I think works oddly really really well Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's so much richness in this film. Uh, and you see that with how these characters are constructed, but also then with like the meatiness of the film and these themes and things that it's trying to communicate. This isn't just a satire that's trying to just like make a point and be in your face about it, but there's a lot of layers to it too. And I think the the cast gives great performances. It's wonderful to see uh, Jeffrey Wright in a lead role. And then it's great to see him get that Oscar nom. And then Sterling K. Brown is the same way that they both give such uh, heartfelt performances. And I just, I'm so happy that they're getting so much attention and getting so much praise for what they did in this film, because it is, it's so so good and they play off of each other so well and the characters are constructed so well to uh to balance one another to challenge one another uh and then to help each other grow in the process too yeah i'm impressed that the academy has recognized this film so heavily and kind of rallied around it because a lot of this film is a pretty scathing critique of the state of mm-hmm. entertainment and the choices that we make yeah. and the stories that we tell so we love some we love some self-awareness, you know? <laughs> like it's really fabulous and I think probably indicative of the way that the voting body has probably shifted and transformed over the past couple of years that we can fully embrace a film like that, that this that is really asking us to look at ourselves and the types of stories that we tell and where we fund um, our resources and what we choose to highlight and and things that really come to fruition because I think what an interesting you know like sub theme of this film is around like the powers that be backing certain premises and the need for those resources to come to fruition to bring those stories to life both in the literary world and also in the filmmaking world and there's a lot of really fun scenes with some of those conversations but um kind of I think that's a a really great critique of how we choose to make 
decisions around what we what stories we bring to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This this movie is all about that, and so it it is. I don't know a minor miracle that the Academy has has selected this uh, when over the years it's made not great choices, uh, especially when it comes to like representation and films written and directed by black people about black stories you know it's typically like the movie talks about it's like slave narratives or it's these like gritty gang violence like black people being murdered kind of stories that get all of this attention and acclaim so it's nice to see the movie pointing out all of that also get so much attention and praise and it is a very high quality work so it's it's absolutely deserving and I just 2023 was such a good year for movies and so this is competing against the best of the best and it is absolutely deserving in that spot yeah totally agreed totally agreed uh all right let's include a spoiler alert if you haven't seen american fiction yet uh get your butt to a theater and go watch this movie it is available out theaters and we recommend checking it out before continuing to listen to the rest of this episode where shall we dive in first? So many places that we could start. What start? Well, let's start with like which of the there's many themes, many many themes that this movie explores. Which of them did you find yourself drawn to, uh, and any moments that really highlight or kind of represent or uh, were really resonant for you? Yeah, I think one of the things that I have really been thinking about since watching this film is how to be a good ally you know there's so many crappy white people in this movie um who are who are saying the right things but they're not actually being allies they're not actually supporting black people they're not you know they're not doing the work they're just trying to say the right things to appear diverse or inclusive and all of these things so like as just as a white person going, okay, how do I not be like that? You know? And the one scene that is really just stuck in my brain is uh, when they're, they're selecting the the literary award. And um, first off the two people first who first agree to join are the black authors and so I wonder after they had two, if they were like, oh, phew, okay, now we can appear diverse so we can just stack the rest of it with white people. But anyway, mm. um, you have this quote unquote diverse panel selecting this award. And when they're finally down to the final book, uh, the two black authors are like, hey, this isn't, this, we shouldn't choose this. I have problems with this choice. And uh, the woman says, it is essential to listen to Black voices right now. And I'm like, okay, do you, not, do you not see what's happening here? You think it's so important to listen to Black voices, but you're completely ignoring the two Black voices in the room who are pushing back. And so again, it's just that theme of like, do you, do you value diversity so that you look diverse so that nobody will get mad at you? Or do you actually value the voices and the contributions of others for what they bring and not just to check a box? And so those are kind of the things that I've been like mulling on just 
like as a white person, how do I apply these to my my life and not just be a person who talks about diversity, but actually be somebody who who lives in a more equitable way? Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And the other little detail in that scene, um, when they're discussing which book should should be that number one spot that they're going to give the award to is that I think it's one of the guys that says like, well, like it's three to two, so you're outnumbered anyway. So we're going with Mm -hmm. it, you know, and just the, even that, even in this quote unquote diverse panel, which I mean, it really isn't. (laughs) There's so many other people groups that are not represented on that panel at all. Um, But even that there's kind of inherently built in a power dynamic that exists there that there one there wasn't that dialogue and open openness of conversation to talk about like hey well like let's talk about why this didn't work for you um but two just the overriding with the still majority that they have even within that panel i thought was just such a fascinating little detail for the writers to include into that scene and just how quickly he just jumps to well, this is what I want and we have the majority. Therefore, this is the decision that's made and there really is no no conversation to be had at all. And I thought that was just like an interesting little moment of like this, this appearance of diversity and yet the system is still set up to favor the majority or the people that are in the position of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think about, you know, like in... 2020 with all like the racial justice pro uh, protests and all of these companies trying to like okay we're gonna appear more diverse and and like adding people of color to their boards and things like that and I don't know that scene especially was just like I wonder if if sometimes that is how that goes where it's just like I mean it's probably more often than not but where it's like nope we have the majority we just want you here so that we appear diverse without actually honoring what you have to say. And so it was just such a smart way to to get us into this this world that like me as a white person, I I don't know what that's like. And so I thought that this was this film was so smart in so many ways of of getting uh giving us like a glimpse behind the curtain of like hey Let's look a little bit deeper. Let's show you these things. And then it's 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 through humor that these truths are being communicated too. So like that whole scene when they're discussing all of this stuff, it's so ridiculous that it's easy to laugh at some of the the lines, but then a half second later you're like, oh wait. And it kind of hits you, like what's actually going on. So I just I love that this this movie is filled with moments like that where you're laughing. And then it hits you what's actually going on. And it, it leaves you, at least it left me, with with a lot to to think about and consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I, I love that this movie is such a movie of details. And, um, you know, they you can, you can, like, play up this, like, comedic bit and, like, uh, build up the momentum for kind of the moment. But, like, what I 
loved about so many of these scenes is that like every detail, every line is hilarious in and of itself and is also representative of some truth that is grounded in reality. You know, like all of that I thought was so well done so that this feels really rich and well-constructed versus feeling kind of one-dimensional. Like a lot of the the scenes with especially the white women in this film, I thought were particularly fascinating because like everything that's coming out of their mouth is hilarious and you're laughing your whole way through, but also mm-hmm. like every nuance in what they're saying is indicative of some, some truth that is grounded in reality. And mm-hmm. I thought like the way that that builds within a scene of those details kind of layering on top of each other to formulate that that whole picture was so so well done so well done there isn't that like one drop of the joke no the entire scene is the joke the every line every detail um is all part of the joke oh it's so good there's that one scene with the publicist and you see her in her office and like the way that the camera is on her you can't really see the wall behind her and she's talking she's talking she's talking and then all of a sudden we get that shot where you can see the wall behind her and there's the rbg (laughs) images on her wall and then it pans back to her my theater there was probably like 10 of us in the theater Mm -hmm. erupted in laughter it was so perfect (laughs) It was so great. And I think the posters say like fight for justice or something like that on there and like mm-hmm. walk graphic letters and whatnot. That's like super <laughs> pop art, street art looking. Oh my gosh. That whole sequence was fabulous. It's really great. Yeah. And the movie is like filled with stuff like that too, which to your point, like it's so detail oriented and you can tell that all of these things have purpose and meaning and, and, I don't know, just the way that this this movie plays with these characters and, and shows us new bits of information about them as we go along is so smart, so funny. Uh, it's, it's great to see how this just layers on top of itself again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. What's also fascinating is that so many of those side characters that um, – Jeffrey Wright's character kind of collide with over the course of the film and on his journey of getting this book made and the movie made is that he feels like such a grounded, multidimensional human being that we know and understand and is incredibly nuanced. And yet he's colliding with and interacting with these people that feel like caricatures and they're larger than life, but they are representative of uh, psyches and perspectives and, and mentalities that are quite toxic. And I just thought that that pairing of like these, this family, this entire family feels so grounded and so real as human beings. And so many of the people that we interact with that are often white in this movie are, are characters. And, and it almost highlights like how wild and ridiculous these types of ideas are that people seem to inhabit. And because they're so spot on, and they resonate so deeply of like, oh yeah, we've been, we know that type of person. We know that type of thinking that because they've saturated that more, it almost feels like this is just such a ridiculous mentality to have. And yet this is true in our reality, you know? And I thought that pairing is really interesting. Um, 
because I think that the, the other version of this movie, which is kind of what I went in expecting this film to be, is that everything felt bigger and larger than life and the personalities and the quirks were all going to be big. But I really love the choice to have this family feel so grounded and so nuanced and complex. And for so many of the people that have these toxic mentalities to feel larger than life, it's a really fascinating pairing. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And like you said, it's not that far off, uh, which is just sad. Um, but something that I just thought of while you were talking is I feel like for so long we saw the reverse of this. You know, you would have a white-centered movie and then if you had a Black character, they would be really over the top. So either like really like, ghetto really like talking in like slang and just an over-the-top caricature just feeding into these stereotypical portrayals of black people and this really flips it on its head and and is like no we're this black family they're the normal ones and all of the rest of you are are crazy (laughs) and so I I like that it it flips that trope on its head but it's to do a point and and it's to point out the ridiculousness of racist ideologies and the way that racism is baked into the system uh it's it's so smart and and like you said we we have encountered people like that and they deserve to be called out and this movie does it so tactfully yeah yeah no that's a really good point it does basically flip the the script Literally, and um, there's even that meta point because of the way that the ending unfolds around this being his screenplay and his story that he's putting to the big screen. I'm curious your thoughts on that like meta layered ending uh, sequence that unfolds where we kind of zoom out and realize like, oh, this whole movie is part of the movie that he's making about the story. And there's kind of like, the Russian doll effect. Uh, did that work for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I liked it. Um, what what really stuck out to me is that this white producer knows what's going on too, and yet he still plays into the the stereotypes. You know, so like this whole premise of pointing out the stereotypical black experience, the black movie and wanting to do something different. And the white producer understands what's going on and still is like, Nope, we're going to fit you into this, this box still. And so I, I like that that producer didn't learn the lesson. I think if he had, then it would have, it would have, I don't know, felt, I don't know, wrong (laughs) for him to actually learn the lesson again. That's, part of the reason why I think it's so shocking that the Academy has awarded this as much as it or nominated this as much as it has. Um, but yeah, it, it really worked for me and I enjoyed, uh, just seeing how the film chooses to handle each of those and how it, it, it shifts and changes to fit those genres. I think artistically that was really, um, fun to watch. And then I think it does reinforce the point that white people in power still haven't learned the lesson. So even though progress has been made and white people in power might be a little bit more aware 
of what's going on. They still haven't learned the lesson and we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you see throughout so many of the the bits throughout this movie how much we talk about this a lot in the pod, but how much there's this constant scrutinizing of art and storytelling through the lens of commerce. Like every conversation that they have with the publishing company, the publicist, with that director, they're always thinking about positioning and marketability. And there's even that really fascinating conversation between Monk and um, Centara, which I actually think is is what really is the cherry on top for an already amazing film, but like really pushes this movie to be stellar um, is that conversation that they, the, the two of them have around how do you find success and influence and traction in a market that is asking for and looking for and trained their taste to be for a specific type of story. And I think that this, movie already was fabulous up until that point, but I think that their dialogue and almost the the validity that both perspectives have on this challenge makes this movie even more nuanced than it already was because it ushers in this, this kind of uh, debate that cannot be resolved cleanly and both sides are valid and it's a, they're both a product of the systems and the market that ultimately requires a a bent to think about positioning and marketing. And we see that whole bit with him um, trying to get his books out of just the African-American studies section because it's been positioned and pigeonholed into that niche uh, area and that specific type of audience. And Centara has found like a wider base, mass appeal, and have been able to achieve commercial success. But there's there's this trade-off that we've seen the tension throughout and I think it really comes to head in their dialogue. And I think that is such a fascinating part of what this movie is also looking to communicate is that it's not as easy to just say, make, tell the stories that are authentic and complex and nuanced and representative of your people. It's like, man, there's this other, when the rules of the game are set differently, how do you reform that and survive in that type of environment. It's, there is no easy answer. And I really appreciate that aspect of this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is just phenomenal. Uh, The other thing from that scene that I was thinking about is just this reminder that not all black people are a monolith. You know, I, I feel like it can be so easy to pigeonhole people uh, and, and to think that, all blank people think the same fill in it with whatever you want um when each person has agency and thinks differently and their choices are being informed by different things and they might choose something different than you might expect and so i think to see these two black authors having this rich conversation to which there is no clear winner and there is no clear right or wrong was was really valuable, I think, especially in this larger conversation about white gatekeeping and and the the types of stories that are being told, um, only having like one bent and it might lead people to think one way about one group of people when actually there's a vast tapestry and there's a lot of nuance and differences between people 
even if they share the same race. Uh, and so I think that that was a really valuable addition to this larger conversation this movie is pointing to. And I love their ability to like dialogue and discourse around that and challenge each other in a way that um, can feel heated and both are passionate, but there was like this, this base level respect that they have for what they're trying to both accomplish together. Like they're, they have and see the same goals and vision, how they might choose to to achieve that and further that mission might be different, but there is, there is like a healthy challenging of like, Hey, have, what is your stance on this? Because this is what I've observed and this is what I'm passionate about. Like, how do you see how your work is similar or different from X, Y, and Z that you also seem to voice um, concerns around? And I thought that was like such a healthy thing to just be depicted for us on screen because we don't know how to disagree with each other and challenge each other in a healthy, calm way in this day and age. Like it gets really personal really quickly for some reason. And I think what the the byproduct of that is that so many voices are not challenged and we aren't considering other perspectives that might differ. And so therefore we might continue to get pigeonholed and become an echo chamber. And I really appreciate the way, I mean, he had some spice in it because he's passionate, but like, I appreciated the way that Monk poses the question, like you voice, this is something you're passionate about, which is to not create work and storytelling that is pandering. I also totally am aligned with you on that. How do you see your work being dissimilar from this thing that you have critiques of and just like posing the question and inviting the dialogue. Um, I just thought that was such a, such a like great thing to see on the big screen because we don't do that well in real life. That's yeah, that's so good. Uh, I kind of read that a little bit differently. I think uh, I, I got hung up on the part when Monk talked about him not actually reading the book and he was like, yeah, I've read oh. excerpts. And so yeah, I, I was almost like, I, I was with you, but now I'm like, Oh, okay. So you're actually doing the thing to this mm-hmm. author that other people have done to you. I see. Okay. So it was one of those like, Oh, Monk, you have a big blind spot here, buddy. Do you not realize what you're perpetuating here in this conversation. I do believe that he was, he wanted answers and he wanted to engage in the dialogue, but I was like, Oh, there's, you're missing something here. Can we, can we pause and talk about it? Yeah, no, that's so true. And I think there's another thing that um, he mentions that is also something that she defends and, and articulates quite well, which is he kind of comes at her with the critique of like, you, you grew up from this middle-class background. So how is this authentic for you to be telling the stories of these people groups that are living in poverty? And I think she, she comes back with like, I care deeply about telling the stories of those that are voiceless. And just because I didn't grow up in that background doesn't mean that I am like invalidated from being able to share their stories. I've done the research, spent the time in the interviews. Like which I think is something that we also often will come up in conversations here on the pod, which is like who gets to tell what stories. And, and I think that there's sometimes this critique of like, 
oh, you're not from that background. Why are you telling this story? And it's like, well, there's, there's, there's validity in both arguments. However, I think it's a lot more nuanced than just like only these people get to tell this type of story and to even gatekeep the storytelling from that perspective as well. You know, within a people group, like who gets to tell our story is also like a fascinating question as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was a little surprised. Uh, I I thought that she was going to be like Monk almost and like, uh, maybe not like Monk, but I, I expected her to be a little bit more... Um, I don't even know how to describe it, but like, I guess cynical about the whole thing and being like, yeah, I know that this is trash, but I'm just trying to make money. And I guess I I expected her to be a little more like exploitative as opposed to being the person who actually cares really deeply about storytelling and and wanting to get uh, these stories out there. So that was also an interesting change in that character from what I expected her to be. Uh, and I think making her somebody who cares just as deeply as Monk does, uh, but coming to a different conclusion is helps make this more rich and more interesting than if she was just kind of like a two-dimensional uh, perfect foil to him. Mm, yeah. No, that's so good. That's so good. And I think that um, when he gives his whole we're more than this monologue, which I was I was living for that. I was eating every line coming out of his mouth in that part because I felt that so many times watching um, films that are part of my um, cultural heritage and, and representing those stories. It's like, these are, and she even comes back with him to say like, these are part of our story. And he's like, yes, but it's not just that. And how does continuing to tell only those stories further the stereotype Right. Like it's and it's it's almost like the two truths that can be held uh, simultaneously, which is this is part of our our story and our identity. And yet is not all that we are. And how what responsibility do we have to try and tell other stories or also continue to share some of those key aspects of of who we are as a people as well? And it goes back to like exposure and opportunity in a lot of ways. But I think Monk's whole thesis, which I agree with is if we continue to tell only those stories, there is a responsibility we have to, to understand at least um, empathize with how it's going to be received. If this is the only stories that other people groups hear about who we are and they have no other stories that they're hearing of course, there's it's easy for those stereotypes to form and to solidify, and then that becomes the reality for these people. And so, um, I thought that was just like an interesting. Again, there is no right answer, and there's no easy answer, but it invites you to kind of ponder the many different dimensions of this very complex uh, problem in how we think about the perceptions people have of other people groups. It's a hard thing. And and that's one of the things that I, I loved so much about this film is that it's this reminder of the importance of storytelling, you know, the the stories that, that we tell, whether it's books or movies or TV, 
they are important. It's not just entertainment, but it it helps shape how we see the world and how we see other people in it. And and reading and watching movies about these diverse stories helps to create empathy and understanding. And and they're they're actually important. They're not frivolous. And I I like that this film does such a good job of pointing out like the macro version of that, but then it also focuses on the micro version of that with this family and the stories that they have told each other or the stories that they have told themselves about their family or about their family members. So I just, I thought that that was so brilliant that you have this macro and micro example of the power of storytelling in both the positive and the negative. Mm, That's a really interesting thought that I hadn't really, um, let my mind wander to around the way that this family has narratives. Each care, each of the siblings, each of the family members have narratives of who they are and who each other are um, that have been furthered or confirmed or uprooted by other family members. And I feel like with a lot of the characters in this family, you see them throughout the film uproot certain narratives about themselves that they've always believed to be true, that they're starting to like redefine or re-understand all over again. You know, like I feel like you see um, Monk begin to understand his mother and the relationship that his mother and his father had with each other more deeply. You see him begin to understand the the like sibling dynamics between um, his sister and Cliff and the closest that they had and why that was the case and why he was um, often seen as maybe more distant from them. That's a fascinating thought. Uh, Tell me more about where your brain wandered to related to that. Yeah, I I think for me, a lot of it centered on Monk's dad. Um, And, you know, Monk was his favorite and Monk, I guess, saw himself in his dad and had kind of told himself this story of who his dad is And so then talking with Lisa, talking with Cliff, he realizes that that story maybe isn't accurate. And there are other sides to his dad that look different. And then I think another thing that you see about Monk throughout is uh, this, this push and pull of him experiencing anger and, and the ways that he processes that and the ways that he sometimes lashes out. And then it's revealed that his dad also had an anger problem. And so seeing the way that Monk has maybe modeled his life, whether intentionally or unintentionally, after his dad, and then having some of those mental models and that story kind of start to crumble as he learns new information. And then he's forced to examine how how he has built his own life. So I just, I thought that that journey was really interesting. I I think if I were to watch this movie again and like focus on that a little bit more, I'm sure that there's like more richness and layers there that I I missed the first time. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And I feel like each character is achieving a level of like um, transformation in embracing and, and bringing to the surface, like their full self. I feel like we got like the beginnings of that with um, Monk's sister and just kind of her story and her truth 
um, coming to full fruition before her death and even after death, kind of the the catharsis that she experiences um, with with what she wrote to her family. And then I feel like you really see that with, with Cliff, just fully, finally having the freedom to express himself in all of the ways that he might have not felt safe to beforehand. Um, and I think you see the way that Cliff begins to encourage Monk to like let people love all of him and to not isolate, which is his tendency is to just retreat and to push people away, but to allow him to fully blossom as well. And, and how that opens him up to the capacity to be able to allow to be loved and by this new relationship, by this new person in his life that inevitably is drawing out these like vulnerable sides of him. And he's shutting down because that's his default. But I feel like through Cliff's journey and transformation through living more authentically, you see the way that that's beginning to inspire. And and he's calling that out from Monk as well to say, Hey, like you can, it's okay to like, we are, we are all growing and transforming. And the more that each of us live more authentically, the more we can have, like create space for each other to be able to have the safety to do that. And uh, I thought it was just fascinating to see all of their their storylines and their journeys like intertwined together. Even Lorraine, man, you know, like Lorraine also achieves oh, a level yes. of metamorphosis as well to no longer have to be beholden to this role, but like, no, she is embracing a love and a joy with this new partner, life partner that is amazing. And you see Lorraine hold space and create safety for Cliff to say like, you can't impose like your family. You're welcome here. I'm not going to kick you out. Like come to our wedding, come celebrate with us. And so like, they're all, they're all like colliding with each other and, and their growth is is kind of impacting each other's along their journeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that this film is so intentional to like celebrate all of those relationship dynamics and show those, the complexities of this family, but then also it takes a significant amount of time to just like highlight their joy um, and, and show, you know, Monk, exploring this new relationships and the highs and lows of that and then taking all this time to focus on Lorraine's wedding and their celebration of her and her marriage and I think that that is is so fun and so special and I think it's also just a reminder of the complexities of life you know because Lisa suddenly dies also, like, they kill her off, t- like, 20 minutes in. I've just fallen in love with her. She is just this bright light in this movie. And then they kill her off, and I was so upset. But so, like, they go through this traumatic experience. They find out about Monk's mom's diagnosis. And yet, amidst those really difficult, tragic things happening, there's also these moments of of absolute joy and just the way it's uh it's inside out all over again it's joy and sadness mixed together and and how true that is to life so i thought that that was just beautiful how not only are all of these characters interacting together but um how how highs and lows go together how joy and grief sometimes coexist and and that's just how life works 
Yeah, which then if you zoom out at a meta level, like this film itself is accomplishing exactly what Monk was hoping for, which is like, hey, we are more than this stereotype. We are multidimensional, multifaceted. And I feel like you see that in all of the characters um, in this family. Like they're all so different from each other. They live such different lives. And together they form this like beautiful tapestry of all kinds of quirks and personalities and and ways of living and journeys that they're on. So at a meta level, the, the film is accomplishing what the characters in the film are hoping to accomplish, which is just like an interesting like circular logic thing but it works it totally works Mm -hmm. yeah and I I think that's one of the beauties of this film is that everything really does work together and I don't know it it might seem like we have a lot going on here because we have like the satire and then we have the family drama and everything but they they're both working together and they're both making the same points and they're both reinforcing each other and I I'm just I'm really impressed by how this was all structured so intentionally to make this one cohesive whole uh with so much going on yeah yeah it's so good it's so good I I'm impressed how much this movie can accomplish in like an hour and 50 minutes covers covers a lot of ground (laughs) and it feels so brimming to the surface, just like so full, but also incredibly efficient in storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And again, testament to the acting to like, just all around quality to get us invested, involved and and rooting for these characters the whole time. Man, we all just we need an we need a Lorraine in our lives. I mean, she's just the best. Every time she was on screen, I was like, how can I love you more? I just, there's so much like warmth and tenderness and that scene with Cliff, just such a sucker punch. Um, Just melts my my little heart so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was so sweet. And oh my gosh, what, what a, what a gem of a character. Mm -hmm. She was just, she was precious. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, other things we want to talk about with this film things that stood out to you yeah I just I I also want to give a shout out to uh Coraline played by Erica Alexander who is fantastic uh and I I mean I loved so much about this character but one of my my favorite things about her is that she doesn't put up with Monk's crap and once he starts like pushing her out and and once he goes too far she's done with him and she she's she's like you need to leave and so i just love how she is so intentional to set those boundaries she's still warm and welcoming and all of that but she knows when to say no and she knows when somebody has crossed a line and she is willing to uphold those boundaries and even at the end of the movie, Monk's, Monk talks about he doesn't know what's going to happen between them. And I just, I loved that. I love that, that when he came running back to her, she didn't open her arms wide, you know, like she is old enough to know what she wants and isn't willing to settle for anything less. And I just, I love that we got to see that 
character in this little like side romance happening in this movie. I'm so pleased that we see our little bubbles and no message comes. Just so good. That so yes. little, that tiny detail to be like, she saw it and she needs time. Like, I think it would have been such a disservice to that storyline. And, you know, like this, this writers for this film are smart enough to know that like, this is not that kind of movie. And, and, and in fact, that whole like ending meta sequence on like, how are we going to end the movie version of American fiction in said movie where they have the like, and there's a reunion and he apologizes and zoom out. And it's like, no, that's, that's not this movie. Mm -hmm. It's be too sweet, too saccharine. And we're not going to do it. Um, And I appreciate that for this character, for him to know that it's, if, if you um, exhibit those behaviors, like, it is not okay and it's not so quickly and easily just like go up and we're going to mend and reconcile that quickly. There are very real consequences for when you lash out and there's, there's no, there's no place for that. There's no um, space for that. So yeah, she, she is a badass for holding her boundaries and holding them firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think anytime we review like a romantic comedy, I get on my soapbox of how, those movies can often paint uh, unhealthy examples. And like we talked about, storytelling is important and it helps shape our expectations and what we're looking for and what we see as normal. And I think that movies uh, play a big role in that as well. And so, again, I just love this example of a, a woman in a relationship in a movie drawing those boundaries and and sticking with them and doing what's best for her. Because, of course, we get that in other movies, but I feel like that's definitely not the norm. We're used to the guy running through the airport and then she drops everything to be with him. And that is not (laughs) practical. So I like that this movie is much more grounded with that. Yeah. That moment also works because it feels like a triumph and a moment of growth for monk as well like regardless mm-hmm. of her response yeah. you we i mean we, we know that he is a character that pushes people away and when it gets hard he runs and he isolates and it's only after that scene with cliff that he swallows his pride and comes to her and reaches out and puts in that effort to, to build that bridge again and so like Even if she doesn't respond, like there is that feeling of like, ah, our character has grown and he is, he is changing for the better. And this is a good thing, regardless of the outcome. And like, I thought that was really, really great as well, because I feel like, again, in all the other romance movies, it's like so easy for the guy to just come back and be like, I'm sorry. And have this long, like, you know, profession of their love for the girl. And you can feel that that wasn't easy for Monk to do, but he chose to do it anyway. And we're proud of him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Way to go. Like he, he does go through a lot of character growth in this, but I love that it's subtle, you know, because he is so reserved and so, um, I don't know, like standoffish for lack of a better term. It's, the grub. Um, it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> it's really I weird. love it. I, I do. Uh, a lovable grump is the best. Um, <laughs> But you see him warming and you see him being able to say that he's sorry. You see him uh, 
you know, experiencing joy with his family, even when he's upset with them. You see him being vulnerable. And I, I love that this super introverted character, uh, we can still see the growth that he goes through, even if it's subtle. Mm-hmm. And I think what also makes that really work throughout is um, as cynical and frustrated and angry as this character is and kind of isolated you see how much he cares for his mother in the the in the way that he treats her it's not like ooey gooey in the way he expresses with words but like his instinct for example in that first meeting with Wiley where he sees the ambulance roll up and he is immediately like he feels so deeply for his mother mm-hmm. and you can see how much tenderness and capacity and desire to love that he has to pour out for her. So you're like, man, as grumpy and as, as like standoffish as you are, like you, you desire connection, you desire to love and to pour that out. And you already are with your mother. So he's like this big softy inside, you know, and, and it's just, he's written this narrative for himself that, you know, he's, he's not incapable of, of having that close connection with other people. And, um, it's neat to see Cliff rewrite that for him in a lot of ways. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. She, (laughs) she's so great. Uh, just shout out to, uh, to Tracy Ellis Ross for that performance. You know, she's only in this movie for a few minutes and yet she is just fantastic. And, Man, I I love the the energy that she brings to those scenes that she's in, and and I think it's so smart that she is the first member of his family that he interacts with, and he interacts with her for quite a while, uh, just to kind of like set the stage for what what he's about to wade into. You know, she's almost like the like shallow end of his family um, so that we can kind of like acclimate and and learn who these people are as we get into some of the more difficult things. So I thought it, even that was, was brilliant in how this is paced for us to spend so much time with just the two of them, hear their witty banter and the way that they connect um, before then it's just Monk to deal with the rest of his family. So smart. Yeah, so good. So good. Um, some great casting choices. I thought Issa Rae, I like just at a meta level, like Issa Rae in the role of Centaur is really fascinating because she mm-hmm. herself is a, a writer and, and, and producer and director of so many stories about and created by Black people. And so that just that like from a meta level, that works really well. And then I also thought the casting choice for Adam Brody to be Wiley who has played this iconic role of being like a privileged white boy in like Southern California and has often played like the nice, sweet, down-to-earth boy in, in so many other uh, roles. I thought it was just like a really great continuation of the meta casting choices. Reminded me a lot of Promising Young Woman, but I thought that was really, really great. So those two stuck out to me. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Also, like Issa Rae can do anything. Yeah. And she's great in everything. <laughs> I just, I love how she is using her time, how she is using her money, her influence. Um, and it's, it's so cool to see uh, what she is attaching her name to as well. Mm-hmm. She, she chooses great projects to be a part of. So she's one that I'm always 
keen to learn like what she's up to and and what she's going to be in next or what she's producing or writing next because uh I don't know she she's just great at what she does so Mm -hmm. I'm glad that she got so much screen time in this uh and like we already talked about she adds a lot to this especially in that conversation with Monk so good all right any other last thoughts before we wrap up uh yeah I have two silly things okay I'm ready um gosh they're both very on brand for me so uh number one uh Jen there are two whole pinky rings in this movie uh both worn by the same person though what okay it's gotta be one of these like toxic white people (laughs) it's gotta be it's gotta be um it is actually when monk is writing that scene it's keith david's character the older man's character he is wearing two pinky rings uh when when the younger guy has that gun pointed at him uh wow which i think is is super interesting yeah because i think my my pinky ring theory is in movies typically they're usually like action movies or like mob movies things like that where it's almost this like over the top show of like wealth and power uh and so for fashion's sake we must yeah we must do all of the flair all of the so I, i thought that it was super interesting that like as he's imagining this like tough gritty like I guess like gang kind of situation uh, that one of the characters would have not one, but two pinky rings Mm. to presumably show that he is high up in power or has wealth, you know? Uh, So I just, I thought that that was an interesting thing to add in here. Mm. And not one, but two. Mm -hmm. One on each hand. Wow. One on each hand. Yep. Fascinating. That's an interesting data point. Right, that we'll have to figure out. Yes, performing either it can help narrow our thesis or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, offer certain conditional mm-hmm. circumstances for which the thesis is valid. Very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought so. All right, what's your other thing? My other thing is that there was a defect in the screen. But it was, like, the part of the screen where the movie wasn't being shown. Does that make sense? Like, the screen is wider than the aspect ratio of the movie. Um, And so it was in, like, the very tippity-tippity top of the right-hand corner. There was just a little green dot the (gasps) entire time. Oh, Oh my. I was like, oh, my God. How am I going to be able to focus on this movie when I have this green dot just blaring at me for two hours so thank god was it was fun. not in frame you know i'm of, very of grateful all, of all the defects yeah. this is slightly better wasn't there one that was like right smack in the middle and it was like always on people's oh, faces which maybe with that napoleon there's been multiple of those yeah uh, i think one. phantom thread was in the middle um thread there's holdovers. been oh there's been multiple one. where it's just been in the middle or it's been like if you divide the screen into thirds, it's been right on like the one third or two third line. Yeah. 
it's very you need where they often place topic. like the topic of interest in Hello. the frame <laughs> yes on one of yeah. those two like intersecting two-thirds one-third lines <laughs> <laughs> like good compositional it's, theory <laughs> it's like the defect knows yeah. you know the rule of thirds and chooses to be right on that line just to frustrate me uh-huh. it's great I love it yeah I mean, if you're going to be a defect, you probably, you want to be a nuisance, you know? You Absolutely. Want, you want the best bang for your buck. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had that to deal with. But still, great experience, great right. movie. Good, good, good. Thank God. Thank God. This defect <laughs> knew to, like, retreat slightly for the greatness that was to unfold on screen. I did, like, I kept getting distracted by it, though, like... <laughs> I would see it out of the corner of my eye and I'd be like, Sarah, stop it. Focus on the movie. Cause you know, like once you see something, you can't unsee it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I thought it was going to be a continuity error. I thought that's where you were mm. Cause that is also on brand for you. So our three I, main colors of the Sarah yeah. brand and you've hit two out of the three. This is very good. I, I did. I thought that I saw a continuity error, but I didn't have enough evidence to bring it up so I would need a second watch hmm. to confirm if there was or was not a continuity error but I don't have the evidence so as of right now no continuity error mm. yeah yeah we're not going to stake any bold claims on this but nope some hypothesized mm-hmm. possibilities yep. yeah <laughs> not until I have evidence I make sure if I'm making a bold claim like I spotted a continuity error I have my receipts. Mm-hmm. So this is what the streaming platforms are for, for us to turn back 15 seconds. And if we need to, another 15 seconds. Honestly, a whole lot, it a is whole one lot of my favorite moments like this, you know? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, this is our review and discussion of American fiction. Uh, you can find it available out in theaters, and we hope that there are no green dots on your screens. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Movies and Us. Our name sums it up. We're all about movies and the powerful ways we can connect with each other and the world around us. This podcast is about all of us and our shared stories, so everyone is welcome here, and we're so glad you spent time with us today. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a rating and review, letting us know your thoughts about American fiction. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Movies and Us Pod, or you can email us at moviesandnestpod at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Nyad. We hope you have an amazing week, and we'll see you next week. Bye.